Thank you, girls. You know, I'm, I'm thinking I've read somewhere that William Featherstone, the author of that hymn that the girls just sang, My Jesus, I Love Thee, I think I read somewhere he was a teenager when he wrote the words to that hymn. Isn't that phenomenal? Boy, the average teenager today, <clears throat> they have, um, they're full of knowledge on video games and, and such, but uh, boy, to write something like that, isn't that incredible? It really uh, stirs the heart. Uh, let's open our Bibles, please, for a, a few moments here. I've got something I'm going to read for you in just a little bit. And it's a story. But I'm going to preface it all with some comments here from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Everyone ready? Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, please warm our hearts to the sacrifice that Jesus, our Savior, made for us. Help us by faith to, to see once again what it is he did on our behalf. And we carry no uh, merit or righteousness in ourselves. We are not worthy. We know that. Any honest man or woman would freely admit that they're not perfect, that there's sin in their lives. And unfortunately, this sin has consequence, some pretty nasty, unfortunate, but yet just consequences. And Lord, we really deserve to be separated from you in a place called hell. That's where sinners go. That's where the criminals belong. And we're criminals, Lord. We've broken your laws. We have offended you and said things, done things, all manner of things. Our Father, we can't atone for our own sin. And that's why we thank you so much that Jesus came and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Please help us again by faith to understand this great gospel message that Christ died for us. Please increase our faith, increase our love for you, our appreciation, our thankfulness. Please increase our daily love and obedience to you, Lord. And bless now, as we look into your book, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's four simple things I'd like to point out here concerning the table of the Lord. We'll start here in verse 24. I made mention of part of this verse this morning. And when he had given thanks, he break it. This, of course, is the bread. And said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. This is the main idea of the table of the Lord. It's to be done in obedience, but in remembrance for him. Our Catholic friends teach their people that uh, this, which they call the Mass, 
the re-crucifixion of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. And with their Latin incantations, they teach that the wafer actually physically becomes the body of Christ. That the wine, and they use alcoholic wine, it becomes the actual physical blood of our Savior. It's no longer a wafer and, and wine that they bought at the store. Now it's the actual flesh and the actual blood of Jesus Christ. That's their official teaching. It's called transubstantiation. That's what they believe. That's what they teach. And they teach that unless you have that, you cannot even get to purgatory, let alone heaven. And that's why the greatest threat to the Catholic is excommunication when they're put out of the church and they're barred from having and partaking of the Mass. And yet when we read God's Word, that's not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God never, ever teaches that we get to heaven by parking our feet under the table of the Lord and partaking. Never. We're taught that it's done in remembrance. It's an act of obedience to remember. Because, folks, let's face it, we forget things. And I don't know who has the worst memory, men or women. I know we make jokes about it and we tease each other about it. But the truth is we're all fallen. And we forget things that we're not supposed to forget. And we go ahead and forget them anyhow. <laughs> There's a little bit of humor, if you don't mind. It's pretty hard to mention the subject and not leave a parting comment, but they say, how many times does a married man forget his anniversary? And the answer is only once. So it's a little bit of humor if you're married. Funnier, I guess, if you're married. Anyhow, the first thing we point out here is we do this in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. That's why, that's why we do it. We remember Christ. Now, the next thing, there's four things I mentioned. The next thing involved here, you'll see in verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, watch this, ye do show the Lord's death. Ye do show the Lord's death. And we'll just pause right there. We are literally proclaiming his death on the cross. Uh, the Lord Jesus had to die the death he died. There wasn't any other way that holy justice could be served. It had to be dished up with the most wrath and cruelty that uh, the human heart could muster. When they wanted to kill Jesus, it wasn't a fast and quick death. It wasn't like chopping his head off like they did to John the Baptist or to the Apostle Paul, apparently. No, they chose the worst possible way to put him to death, and that was with crucifixion. Crucifixion was a slow, agonizing, painful, and very shameful way to die. And the condemned was often whipped and beaten. Many condemned people died under the beating they would be lacerated with a cat of nine tails. And remember that the uh, man on the end of the whip, he didn't care. He didn't care about this poor, poor condemned person here. 
He didn't care at all. His job was to really soften them up and to humiliate them and give them agony and pain. His job wasn't to kill them, although some people did die under the, the whip. It wasn't just one whip. It was a handle with about nine of these cat of nine tails, long pieces of cord, either of leather or of uh, slender rope, tied little pieces of bone on the end or sometimes uh, bits of stone or metal or something like that. And so when they would bring this thing down, these little meat hooks would grab the flesh and rip it. And the Lord Jesus was soaked in his own blood after they lacerated him so, so badly. The, uh, the condemned was uh, often made to carry his own cross or a, a member beam of it. And then he would be stripped naked, laid on the cross, fastened either with nails or ropes or both. And then they would hold him up. You know, it's a big spectacle. The crowds would um, taunt and jeer and mock, throw things at them. Many men went mad out of their minds uh, when they were on the cross. The Roman government perfected the death of the cross, absolutely perfected it. I know that we, we love the, the cross. We have one here on the, the pulpit. A nice, clean-looking cross, isn't it? It wasn't the case for our Savior. Our Savior didn't die on a nice, clean, varnished, shellacked piece of wood. It was an old rough cross, two member beams put together, and, and he was fastened to it. They'd dig a hole in the ground, and they'd hoist him up with ropes, and soldiers would help hold him up and then plop down into the hole it would go. They would probably jam in a few rocks in there and throw some dirt in there to hold it, take the ropes away, and there's the victim. Sometimes the victim would last for days, on the cross and would be there night and day, night and day, dying on the cross. Our Savior was on the cross from nine in the morning till three in the afternoon, six hours. Boy, that's, that's a long time, I think, when you're in that kind of agony. A long, long time. But ye do show the Lord's death now, there's something else. It's not recorded right here, but it's a couple pages to the right. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, starting in verse 3, uh, Paul wrote, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, here's the Apostle Paul, he received it himself, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now that's important because the Old Testament prophesied that Messiah was going to come and die for our, our transgression. Verse 4, and that he was buried, okay, now watch this, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So the Old Testament even prophesied his resurrection. The Old Testament holds the gospel. Did you know that? It holds the, uh, the, the wonderful story of Messiah 
and his uh, death for sinners and his resurrection. It's all there in the Bible, Old Testament and especially New Testament. But here's the third point. We celebrate his victory. He rose again the third day. He's not, a, he's not still dead, folks. It's wrong to leave Jesus on the cross, isn't it? He's not on the cross anymore. It would be wrong to leave him in the tomb. He's not in the tomb, is he? The tomb is empty, isn't it, right? Yeah, and the cross is empty too because he's not on the cross anymore. Hallelujah, he's alive. He rose from the dead. All the other founders of all the other world's religion, they're all dead. And their bodies are in some grave somewhere, but not Christ, not Jesus. He rose from the dead on the third day. The temple guards that were standing guard that early, early Sunday morning when he rose from the dead, they became as dead men. When they saw what was happening, oh, they swooned. They, they fainted, almost died of fright. They passed out. He's alive. Hallelujah. So this is very important that we keep that in our minds. So three things so far. We remember Jesus. We proclaim his death. We celebrate his victory. Now go back to chapter 11, if you would, please. And we're going to finish off <clears throat> the verse 26. So it says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. Now say these uh, last three words with me out loud. Till he come. We anticipate his coming. He's coming again. Jesus is coming again. He is, he is. You say, but pastor, we've been saying that for 2,000 years. But my Christian friend, that means it's true for 2,000 years. He's coming. Boy, I'm sure glad that he didn't come before I got saved. Huh? How about you? Huh? Imagine if Jesus had come the day before you got saved. I was saved on April the 6th, 1975. Imagine if Jesus had come back on Saturday, April the 5th, 1975. <gasps> oh, oh, I'd be in trouble. Wouldn't you? Aren't you glad? He is coming, though. He'll come at a time, probably when we don't think of it, but he'll come at the right time. He will. The table of the Lord is wonderful. It's, I think, a perfect picture that God wants us to have to remember him by. I'm going to read you a little story here. It's fictional. And I didn't write it, but um, another uh, pastor wrote it many years ago. And it's all about uh, a fictional story, an imaginary story, a conversation that's supposed to have happened between Pontius Pilate and one of his servants called Gaius. Um, you know, historians are divided as to what really happened to Pontius Pilate. You know, he was the governor of, of Judea and they brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate to get him put to death. And they managed to do it. 
And they used some clever political tricks to get him to do it. He was ready to release Jesus. Jesus kept his mouth shut. If Jesus had opened his mouth, he would have won the case. He would have gotten off. But then that would have defeated the whole purpose. The whole idea was for the, the world to put Jesus to death. That was the whole idea. Jesus had been in difficult situations before, even in his hometown. When he preached in the synagogue, his townspeople got upset with him, so upset, so mad that they physically took him, they were going to throw him off a hill. And Jesus just miraculously just walked through the crowd. And they were just confused. Where'd he go? What happened to him? He just walked out. A couple of times that happened. Jesus had that power. He'd just walk away from people and they'd be so confused they, they didn't know where he went. Other times when the greatest legal minds on earth confronted Jesus, he quickly just showed them the stupidity of their arguments and just put them down in their place. If Jesus had wanted to, he could have argued his own case and gotten off easily. Or he could have just walked away. He could have done that. But he chose not to. I personally think that's the reason, that's what drove Judas to killing himself. You know, we, uh, we think that Judas was some kind of monster. I don't think he was so much a monster. But I think that he was uh, not saved. He was religious, but not saved. He finally figured that Jesus was not going to set up the kingdom on earth. And so... He wanted to cash out. He was also a thief. He was stealing the offerings. He sure doesn't have a very good name for himself, eh? Judas Iscariot. But when Judas saw that Jesus didn't just walk away from the angry mob, that he, they actually arrested him, that's when I think that he repented of himself and went and tried to reverse the deal and couldn't, threw the money down. He went out and he hung himself. Sad, isn't it? Whatever happened to Pilate, we don't know. Some say that he committed suicide. He was relieved of his position, we know that much. And he, um, he was called back to Rome by Tiberius. Apparently, before he got back to Rome, uh, Tiberius died and um, the new emperor uh, took over. Caligula or someone like that took over. Anyhow, there's, there's no hard and fast evidence what happened to him, whether he killed himself or whether he just kind of drifted off into, into death in silence over the years. We don't know. But here's a, a, a little sermon, an imaginary conversation between Pontius Pilate and one of his servants called Gaius. I'd like to read it for you. It suddenly closed in on me, Gaius, the impact of how trapped I was, the proud arm of Rome with all its boast of justice was to be but a dirty dagger in the pudgy hands of the priest. I was waiting in the room for him, Gaius, that I used for court officially enthroned with cloak and guard when they let him in. Well, Gaius, don't smile at this as you value your job. 
but I have no peace since the day he walked into my judgment hall. It's been years, Gaius, but these scenes I'll read from the back of my eyelids every night. You've seen our emperor Tiberius inspect the legion. His arrogant manner was childlike compared to the manner of this Nazarene. He didn't have to strut, you see. He walked towards my throne, arms bound with a strident mastery and control that by its very audacity silenced the room for an instant and left me with a trembling and an insane desire to stand up and salute. The clerk began reading the absurd list of charges. The priestly delegation punctuating these with the palm rubbings, the beard strokings, the eye rollings, and the biased gutturals that I had learned to ignore. But I more felt it, Gaius, than heard it. I questioned him mechanically. He answered very little. But what he said, and the way he said it, it was as if his level gaze had pulled my naked soul right up into my eyes and was probing it there. And a voice kept saying in my ears, why, you're on trial, Pilate. And that the man wasn't even listening to the charges. You'd have sworn he'd just come in out of friendly interest to see what was going to happen to me. The very presence of his standing there had grown unbearable, Gaius. When a slave rushed in, all a tremble, interrupting court and bringing a message from my wife, Claudia. She had stabbed with the stylus in that childish way that she has when she's distraught. Don't judge this amazing man, Pilate, she wrote. I was haunted in dreams by him this night. Gaius, I tried to free him. From that moment on, I tried, and I'll always think he knew it. I declared him out of my jurisdiction, being a Galilean. But the native king, Herod, discovered he was born in Judea and sent him right back to me. I then appealed to the crowd that had gathered in the streets, hoping they were his sympathizers, but Caiaphas had stationed agitators to whip up the beasts that cry for blood. And you know how any citizen here loves just after breakfast to cry for another's blood. So I had him beaten, Gaius, a thorough back barracks room beating. I'm really still not sure why to appease the crowd, I guess. But do these Romans really need a reason for beating? That's the code, isn't it, for anything we don't understand? Gaius, it didn't work. The crowd roared like some slobbering beast when I brought him back. If only you could have watched him, Gaius. They had thrown some rags of mock purple over his pulp and bleeding shoulders. And it fitted. They had jammed a crown of thorns over his forehead. And that fitted too. It all fitted. He stood there watching them from the balcony. Lame from weakness by now, but royal, I tell you. Not the disdain, but pity shining from his eyes. And I kept thinking, this is somehow all monstrous, upside down. That purple robe is real. That crown of thorns is real and somehow these animal noises the crowd was shrieking 
should be praise. And then Caiaphas played his master stroke on me. He announced there in public that this Jesus claimed a crown and this was a treason to Caesar. And the guards began to glance at one another quickly. And that mob of spineless folk began to shout, Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! And I knew right then I was beaten. And that's when I gave the order. Gaius, I couldn't look at him. Then I did a childish thing. I called for water. And there on the balcony, I washed my hands of that whole affair. Gaius, as they led him away, I did look up. And he turned and looked at me. No smile, no pity. He just glanced at my hands. And I feel the weight of his eyes on them ever since. But you're yawning, Gaius. I have kept you up. But the fact of the matter is, you are in need of your rest and some holidays. Claudia will be asleep by now. Rows of lighted lamps line her couch. She can't sleep in the dark anymore, not since that day. You see, Gaius, the sun actually went down when my guards executed him. Yes, that's what I said. I don't know how or what. I only know I was there. And though it was the middle of the day, it turned as black as the darkest tunnels beneath the streets of Rome. While I tried to compose Claudia and explain how I'd been trapped, she railed at me with her dream. She's had that dream ever since, when she sleeps in the dark or some form of it. Something about there was to be a new Caesar and that I killed him. Oh, we've been to Egypt to, to their seers and their magicians. We've listened by the hour to the oracles of the musty temples of Greece, chattering their mantras. We've called it an oriental curse that we're under. And we tried to break it a thousand ways, but there is no breaking it. But you know why I keep going, Gaius? Deeper than the curse is a haunting, driving certainty that he's still out there somewhere near. And I have unfinished business with him. And that now and then as I walk by the lake, he's following me. And much as that strikes terror in me, I wonder if that isn't my only hope. You see, Gaius, if I could walk up to him and this time salute him, I'd tell him I know now, whoever he is, he was the only man worthy of the name living in all of Judea that day. I'd tell him I know I wasn't trapped, that I trapped myself. And I'd tell him, here is one Roman who really wishes he were a Caesar. I believe that would do it. Don't you think so? I believe he'd listen and know that I meant it. And at last I'd see him smile. Well, it's quiet tonight, Gaius, isn't it? Not a breeze stirring on the lake. Good night. You'd better run along. No, no, wait. I think I'll have you awaken my slave outside the door and tell him to bring my cloak, the heavy one, please. I'll walk by the lake. Yes, it's dark out there, Gaius, but I won't be alone. I guess I never really have been alone. Yes, good night.
Interesting story, isn't it? It's only fiction. But it does have a, a little bit of eerie truth to it. Oh, if you and I had been there that day when they crucified our Savior, how it would change our lives forever. Isn't that right? How much do you love the Savior tonight? We've gathered in his house tonight. We're parking our feet beneath his table. This do in remembrance of me. You know, we need to bow our heads now for a couple of moments of quietness and prayer. Now is the time we need to ask the Lord, is there anything in my life? Father God, have I sinned? Have I done something, anything that I shouldn't have? Have I broken a promise? Now is the time to pray, search me, O God, and know me. So let's do that now, shall we?